2: Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, well, we'll review some of our predictions for the season that was. Where were we right? Where did we maybe sometimes go wrong? Uh, We will also talk about some of those big new signings in the Premier League. Darwin Nunez to Liverpool, Erling Haaland to Manchester City. But what next for Chelsea's Romelu Lukaku? And of course, we will dissect everything that happened when it comes to England's performances in the Nations League. This is The Game. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Hugh woodson alongside Tom Clark and Gregor Robertson for what is officially the final episode of the season. Yet when you look back on Soccer Base, this will be the final episode, all right? And then we'll flip over. You'll have to hit that switch to go to the next season because from here on out, and we will be covering the women's Euros, it will officially be the Game Podcast 2022 23 season, okay? So on this episode, we will look back at some of our predictions. Uh, we'll do a little quiz at the end. There's some stuff for us to talk about before we get there, but it'll be a lot of fun, hopefully, won't it, gentlemen? Anyway, let's start uh, with the negatives, if you like. England thrashed 4-0 by Hungary to round off what was... A thoroughly miserable first four games in the Nations League. Two defeats, two draws, no goals from open play. And new formations were trialled by the manager, Gareth Southgate. New players were given an opportunity. But what I want to ask you two is, what did we learn about
3: England in these four games? Tom Clark. Uh, we learned that people still really don't like Gareth Southgate, do they? <laughs> um, that's than one. As much as, as much as my endless campaign continues. I would say the left back situation is a big, big problem. Um, I was going to start with they can't score goals, but that felt a little bit obvious. The left back situation is a problem. Luke Shaw's form, uh, Ben Chilwell's injuries are something that you, you know, Gareth Southgate is going to be really hoping comes back into uh, into prominence in the new season before the World Cup. I like what you. I like what you're doing here, Tom. I like what you're doing here Go because on. you
2: don't want to get involved in the headline arguments. Go so on. you went, "What's the most obscure one I can select?" I, I wouldn't say. I
3: wouldn't with. say Let's obscure start with the left
2: back area. Say, we've had, <laughs> had our two first choice left backs I say, injured, I say, I so, say so we've had to choose makeshifts. Yeah, yeah i that's, that's the I'd issue. Ser- for you, is it? it's
3: certainly mid ranking, definitely. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but sure, I might have gone a bit more left field. That's that's certain. Look, goal, goals are a problem, aren't they? Um, I was pretty astonished by that game like everyone else particularly having recorded the previous podcast and said just they'll be fine don't worry about mm. it and i remember even during that podcast thinking i'm going to say that they'll thrash hungary and everyone will be back on side by the end of the week and obviously that's not the case um i, but I the other the other reason for going slightly left field and talking about left backs is that i can't i just can't get on board with the the frantic frenzied panicking the idea that we should change the manager all the kind of stuff that's coming around so S- I,
2: are you still then of the opinion that these four matches in the Nations League are
3: relevant doesn't matter not irrelevant but actually in a strange way I think you could make the argument that getting the poor performances out of the way also at a time of the season when I mean, you, you said it there in your intro, it's been the most endless football season in the history of all <laughs> football seasons. You I, don't, certainly, I don't think I did, but that's what, clearly what you felt. It certainly sounded <laughs> you know, like I'm it. You no, know, you hear what you want. You were saying, <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a dangerous suggestion that we're so, so, so in such a close relationship here. No, but it, that feeling of we're with, with finally at the end, that was what I took from your intro, Hugh. Um, that it's been a long, long old season. And I do think, as much as people say, oh, there's loads of talent in the squad, there's got to be a factor. It's got to be um, in some of these performances. The players look jaded. You know, the the little sprints to get the ball, you know, the ball's over the top, people not making the runs. It's all part of of it. It, you you, You asked me what we learned. We learned that it's been a long football season, that people don't like Gareth Southgate, that England do need to work out how to score goals, but I wouldn't be too worried about it. I don't think it's irrelevant but I think in a strange way it's a warning that Southgate and the players
4: will correct by the time the World Cup comes around.
2: Gregor, you've had more time to think about the answer, mm. so hopefully you
3: don't say the left back area as well.
4: No, I think the first thing we learned is that you guys are all mental in England. <laughs> well, that's, that's kind of what I was getting at.
3: That's kind of what I was getting at, but I can't say it was as much gravitas without a Scottish accent.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, it is, it is peculiar to watch from a neutral point of view the sort of hysteria. Look, I'm not. Take, it was a humbling, humbling uh, night. Uh, You don't need me to tell you that, and it was a shocking performance, and particularly at the back, like just players who you see in the Premier League being (sighs) certainly a lot better than that. Uh, Just all at sea, it was a mess. Um, But you know, I think I think the biggest thing you've learned is that the sort of the atmosphere is 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 on a knife edge. I think it always was. I think it was through your run to the final in the Euros. It was. You know, I, I remember saying at the time the the game against Germany. There was like you take a a little look at social media at half time, and you were hearing all the sort of <laughs> vitriol levelled at Southgate. And then you go and win, and then he's nearly Sir Gareth. Like it's always been like that. It's always been like that with England, but it seems to be particularly. Uh, even more so, I think at the moment, and this idea that you have a golden generation that's going to be wasted, I, I just certainly in my lifetime, you've always had a golden ge- generation that's going to be wasted. I think that's that's a waste of time thinking like that. I think I do think you need pers- some perspective. You know, it's easy for me to say that as a Scotsman, having watched us very, been very fortunate to beat Armenia with nine men. Uh, <laughs> I I do think you need some perspective because. Um, what Gareth Southgate has done is, is more than anyone has done for 50 years
3: I think trying to answer your question in a more rounded and less rambling way Hugh I think what we've learned is that perhaps this World Cup will be the last thing Gareth Southgate does as an England manager and I'm not saying that in an extreme way but I'm relating it back to Gregor's question and I think you either go with the positive of what Gregor said of Sir Gareth we all in Gareth we trust What what an amazing guy and he wins the World Cup in which case he goes, thanks very much. This is as good as it's ever going to get. I'm going to go and try and get a top six, you know, top t- top half Premier League job. Or it, you know, goes out in the quarters, even the semi-finals, and it would generally be seen as a failure with this bunch of players and it'll be time to move on. And it'll all be mutual consent and it'll all be, you know, parted ways amicably. But I, it does get that feeling now that there are lots of questions for him to answer in terms of how the, the players are performing Systems Formations But I do I, I believe that he can get that right But I b- also believe that now Even if he does get it right The World Cup could still be The end of his England career
4: I, I also think that England Suffer from having The best league in the world And the best managers ma- Managing in that league mm. uh, And it's unrealistic To expect England to play The same kind of Buccaneer football That you see from A Man City or a Liverpool Um uh, it's not going to happen. And I also, think there's so much talk about his his position. I I think it's really important that you you have a look around and see who who else is going to be the England manager right now.
2: As soon as the rumours that Pochettino was leaving Paris Saint Germain, genuinely, people were tweeting saying, make it poch, make it poch. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. That is exactly what happened. Um, Listen, I, I think the Nations League campaign was massively instructive. I think we learned so much, mostly about what England aren't, rather than what they are. But I still think that's important because all the arguments about formation, I think, are going to go. They should go out the window. If you watch those few games, we tried the four-two-three-one. We tried uh, the one holding midfielder. We lost four-nil in that game. Um, we we just aren't a good enough side, generally speaking. And whether you put that down to the manager or not, to go and dominate games and control games and play beautiful football, that's just you can talk about the, the quality and the talent in the squad if you want to. There's only two matches before the World Cup. And we're not going to become Brazil of 1970 in those two matches before we get to the World Cup. And so we've learned that we need to go back to how we played in the Euros. And we need to go back to what worked for Gareth Southgate that got five clean sheets all the way up to the semi-finals, that got us into a final and all the way to the penalties. If you want to continue the, the narrative word that you love, it, it is what it is. England should be boring. They should be pragmatic. They should play two holding midfielders. And we shouldn't now be arguing about it before the World Cup because they're not good enough which I may have told you once or twice before but they aren't but now we know at least we tried it out and those questions were answered England could one day be a great attacking force with the players that they have but they're just not going to um, get the reps they're not going to become a fluent team in two, well I say warm-up games in the last two Nations League matches they're just not and that's okay I think that's OK. Let's go and try and win games 2-1 or 1-0 and see where it takes us because there's still quality in that side. And we can, we you know, we can fight our way through the competition if we need to. And maybe that's, you know, the bulldog spirit or whatever. I don't know. But ultimately, they're not going to go out there and outplay teams, outclass top quality teams. And we know that.
3: So let's just move on from it. That's all I think. But you're talking about pragmatism there and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You're doing it in a slightly jaded and slightly, you know, depressed no, way. No,
2: I no, 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 no. I, I, the thing that's jaded me is the arguments about Fine. it. Fine. Not the not the actual football itself because ultimately it's about winning games and yeah. they've done quite well in the last two tournaments. Yeah. Um
4: and we 22 won. games without losing over 90 minutes yeah, before yeah. this yeah exactly this and if you
3: talk about how Italy won the tournament it was in a very similar to way the one you've just outlined you quite pragmatic you could argue that France with all the talent that they had won the previous World Cup with quite a pragmatic approach and didn't play that well particularly in the group stages and that's where I think Gareth Southgate deserves credit because he's realised at international level in modern football when you don't this another fact that we've talked about Gregor alluded to the Premier League there you often get these players that they don't play together and you're talking about modern football and wanting everyone to play like Manchester City and Liverpool that takes time that takes training that takes players knowing each other players gelling and you don't get that with England because the Phil Foden's and Harry Kane's and uh, people only play together at England level then often quite often they drop out of friendlies they even drop out of Nations League games for injuries and things like that sometimes injuries that miraculously they've recovered from in time for the big premier league game two weeks later mm. so it's difficult and I, I agree with you pragmatism is the way but i do think that you can you can come back to that for the world cup and that's why as i say talk of southgate leaving is absolute nonsense
4: there there, there are very few elite managers managing an in international football
2: yeah like we, we... But, but, but are there better managers than gareth southgate in international
3: football I don't know. Well, Roberto Mancini won the Euros with Italy, and then couldn't get them to the
4: World Cup. Yeah. Are there better English managers? Do they have to be English? I think the answer is yes. I think um, the pressure on on a, a an overseas manager would would just ramp up even even further. Um, so the, you know, there's a broader question about English managers. We've mentioned this before. You know, there's, you, you don't have any in the Champions League. You don't have. There's none's ever won the Premier League. Do you even have any in the Europa League? I can't think of one So who are these managers that are going to come in? People keep talking about Graham Potter Graham Potter would run a mile <laughs> from this job Potter, You need Graham Potter on the way down You need Graham Potter to get a top four job To do really well And then signs of him becoming yesterday's man Then he'll take the England job That's what the England job is yep. <laughs> it's, it's too toxic The best English managers wouldn't want it and there's not many good English managers around. So I think you need to get behind Gareth Southgate <laughs> personally. Anyway, that's it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I see what you're talking about. But um, but ultimately, if he doesn't get some some better performances, goals, you know, look, England's main talent is in the forward areas. If you don't get the best out of those players, you can't. Surely you, the FA can't keep him in that job. We'll see what happens after the World Cup. But not scoring goals against better opposition, obviously, you know, score loads against San Marino and Andorra, etc. but ultimately against the very best teams, they need to be a better attacking team. All they are currently is a threat. You, you're more worried about them than what they actually produce. You know, you're talking about a team that scores one goal a game and usually from a set piece or a penalty. I mean, it's, it needs to be better. That, that area needs to be better because if they've got a great defensive record, um, If they couple that with scoring goals, there is a good chance they'll win the World Cup. It doesn't matter if they play pretty football or not. It doesn't really matter. And you know, if this is a team that can score two goals against the best opposition, the best teams around, two goals, then they've got a chance of winning the World Cup. That's all they need. They don't need to score four or fives because their defence is that good. But ultimately, they don't control games. They don't create the clear-cut goal-scoring... I feel like I've said this before. (laughs) (laughs) The clear-cut goal-scoring opportunities that you need to win trophies and he has to solve that otherwise he won't keep his job but ultimately I do think if he gets to the quarterfinals the FA will keep him on to the Euros and there will be a feeling that England can go and win the the Euros after that as you pointed out Come on, you, you can't you can't grimace when I say that having pointed you know, out that, there's no replacement for him
4: no I know but I'm, uh, I think Gareth Southgate might call yeah. it a day himself uh, I, yeah. I'm with Tom and that I think you'll even if he won the World Cup, no, that's Well, it. if he wins it, definitely he's going. Yeah, yeah. either way, because if he doesn't win it, then, you know, he, people will be calling for his head. No matter what, even if he does take the handbrake off and play Jack Grealish, <laughs> he'll still be calling for his head if you don't win the World Cup because that's three tournaments and being the nearly man.
2: But, but surely these games have lowered
3: expectations surely yeah which is genius absolute yeah. genius <laughs> that's what we've learned. he's a PR genius you were saying it on the last podcast Hugh he's, he's, he's played us like a fiddle um, uh, they probably have lowered expectation but as Gregor says the frenzy around England and the expectation is always very high whether we're playing well or whether we're playing badly um, but I I do think just going back to one of the points you made there, Hugh, about scoring goals and the defence. You know, I can remember going into the last Euros debating with you guys about back three, and Gregor saying, "You know, why focus on the weakness of your team?" Because we were talking about Harry Maguire and mm. John Stones, and who who the hell's going to be the centre half? But actually, I think some of those things you're talking about, and the take the handbrake off um, cliche as it's becoming with England. If if you did that, you would then become, I think, more open def you know, in in terms of uh, against opponents attacks i do think there's 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 something to be said for the fact that we keep clean sheets with a defense that perhaps particularly at club level including some defenders that aren't playing that well um it it is a product of the fact that the team works quite hard defensively stays quite rigid at times in terms of structure and formations but the the price you pay for that is that you aren't as fluid going forward
2: i think one of the issues is that we have some very good wide players um, but we we play a formation with wing-backs that asks them to obviously narrow in. And for me, that that's an issue as well. I think if you're going to play with the three and the four, then you need to have a one, a number 10, and two up front. Again, what does that do to Harry Kane's role? Because, of course, he plays up front on his own and has done for, for a long time and played pretty well on his own. So does he have a strike partner? Because ultimately... It, you know, England going forward, those wing backs we could have, we could have some excellent wing backs if Ben Chilwell or Luke Shaw find form. And then, of course, in the, in the right wing back area, there's going to be a good player. We know there's going to be a good player there, whoever it is. You need to get the ball into the box. You need to have players in the box. In that case, mm-hmm. it's international football, so it, again, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. But ultimately, you need a creative player. England don't create enough. So is it going to be Phil Foden as a number 10? Is Mason Mount going to keep that role? And can you push someone into the penalty box alongside Harry Kane? And do we become a different team? I know it sounds weird. If we've got the presence of Kane and, say, Abraham alongside him in the penalty box. Now, again, you're going to... Yeah, everyone winced. (laughs) (laughs) I was about to react to it without saying exactly what happened there. Yeah, everyone winced when I said it. Okay, but ultimately... You're looking at the formation, and does it work for Raheem Sterling? Really? Does it work for Jack Grealish? Really? Does it help the wingbacks? Like, it's all good saying, we're going to play with wingbacks. If they don't get forward, I don't get it, because ultimately, those are, those are two of your attacking players. In that system, the wingbacks are two of your attacking players, unless you want to play a flat back five. But then it's that's not three, four, it's five. Mm. Three, two, if you like whichever it might be, but but ultimately it would be five at the back. And we don't, we don't want to play five at the back. We want a system that can switch from a five at the back defensively to wing backs that push forward. And ultimately you end up with a front three or four because Reese James gets down the right-hand side or Ben Chilwell gets down the left and gets the ball in. And that never happens in this formation. I don't see why you wouldn't try that. And that hasn't been tried yet. Like ultimately, I know it sounds weird but there's no point playing wingers in a system that's not for wingers like I don't you know he, he has to think I was going to say outside the box but actually just you know that's not what the, the formation yeah exactly but that <laughs> do you see what I mean I don't I know there are a lot of teams that play with the 3-4-3 three, three, but when you think of the front three you're talking about the two wide ones either side of the the striker being basically inside forwards attacking midfielders not out and out touchline wingers so if you're going to play okay if you want to stay with a 3 as the front 3 but you play a Phil Foden who has who has played there and you tuck him in which i think he'll be more than happy with is greedish isn't going to tuck in and neither is raheem sterling they both play off the touchline they want space to run at people um, but as soon as they go and hug that touchline what's happening to your wing back like are they going to make an inverted mm. run they're obviously not going to overlap so it's fine ultimately you can do that but England don't do any of those things there's none of that movement there doesn't seem to be any I of that thought that's what I mean Some it's of those- too static constantly static in
4: contrast I- with Germany as well when you played when you played Germany and they had Musiala and Mueller Muller behind Havertz and Havertz as well kind of floating as well so you know that kind of fluidity of movement that was a bit of a a glaring contrast um, like, like we're going around the circles again with our Southgate can get them to do that or not if he can't then he's got to do the best he can with the team
3: but I think going back to some of those points and those players and a good example of the kind of um, culture clash if you like of what we're talking about pragmatism versus you know go go for it unleash, unleash these players is the kind of Trent Alexander-Arnold debate which will go on endlessly for the rest of his career probably and a lot of these moments when you know you start getting predicted teams and Henry's written a piece um criticising Southgate and in it he picks his kind of team that he would have and he has Trent at right back which obviously a lot of people would argue you have to have but you then think about the Euros and you think about probably you could make the argument that Kyle Walker was England's most important and best player in terms of consistency and that pragmatism and getting the clean sheets and then again so you have have those two as a kind of clash at big tournament level you want to put the superstar in or do you put the guy who's got loads of international caps, loads of Champions League appearances and probably always turns up for you in the big games? And then Raheem Sterling, as you say, Hugh, you want to get the best out of him. But then also, I think he produces his best for England in big games anyway. We we had debates during the Euros where, again, he was England's best player. He was the player who made things happen, as we yeah, always yeah. say. Where And he managed to do that within the you know straits jacket, if you like, of Southgate's system. So I, I just think... You talked about pragmatism earlier. I'd say it's almost redundant to have the debates around people like Trent and the kind of you know Southgate's got to go for it, or I just don't think he will because I don't think that's succeeded before. And I think if you look at the tournaments in the past, he's got success with a pragmatic approach, and I don't I don't think he owes anyone anything other than to go for that again. Okay.
2: That rounds off our conversation about international football because we will go round and round in circles and we'll just lift that conversation. We'll insert it in September when the Nations League games come round again. Anyway, disappointed in England. Ultimately, I think I've been right. They're not going to win the World Cup. If they get past the quarterfinals, we should all be absolutely delighted. And I will maintain that as we go into Qatar next season with low. But lower expectations than we had before. Uh, Anyway, still to come on the game podcast, we'll be talking about two striking sensations making their way to the Premier League. And we'll do a bit of a quiz and look back at some of the predictions we made a little bit earlier on during the campaign. But remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, rate us, leave us a review, and make sure you're subscribed. Since we last spoke, we've had the confirmation of two signings and two figures who could play starring roles in the Premier League for many years to come. Darwin Nunez joins Liverpool from Benfica, £64 million up front, £21 million of potential add-ons after 34 goals in 41 games in all competitions last season. And Erling Haaland was finally unveiled to the Manchester City fans after his £51.2 million move from Borussia Dortmund, where he scored 86 goals in 89 games not last season at the club I think these are two fantastic signings I think it's once again showing us just how hard it's going to be to catch Manchester City and Liverpool I think the good thing looking at Liverpool as a Manchester United fan is that for them they need to strike while the iron's hot which is that at the moment they're sitting very close to the top if not at the top of European football and so you are a very attractive prospect and you've got a fantastic manager. And you might not have a fantastic manager forever because you don't pay the biggest money in the world to your players. You don't pay the biggest money in the world for all of your signings either. But what you can do is use the fact that people want to play for your club right now. Exciting football, successful football. And I think this is a great addition to that forward line. We'll come to what it means for the futures of some of their players in a moment. I think when it comes to Manchester City... This was the smart money. I don't necessarily think Pep Guardiola thinks he's a better player than Harry Kane, but he has the longevity and he has the you know as a young player you have the ability to mould him a little bit more and shape him than 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 Harry Kane's game, which I think still would have would have fit Manchester City. Actually, I mean these two could could be you know this could be two of the names that we talk about in English football for for a long long time. You excited by it, Tom?
3: I I am. I think I'm what I'm most excited about from the point of view of being a bit of a tactical geek is that I think and you alluded to it there I think these two players are a sign that there could be quite a lot of changes for both these clubs this season in, or the next season sorry in terms of how they play how they set up what it'll mean for other players who've been established and won trophies for them for the last few seasons so I'm really intrigued to see how it'll uh, how it'll all pan out I think it's not as simplistic I've seen a lot of coverage of the fact that obviously Her- uh, Haaland and Nunez are both tall bigger strikers who you know play play centrally it's like oh it's the return of the big man up front <laughs> it's great it's like, I think it's a little bit more uh, sophisticated than that well maybe, maybe it won't be maybe it won't be maybe they'll just get it wide get it in the box um, and they'll both score about 25 goals half of them with their head that'd be great to see but I don't think it will be like that well
2: I, Liverpool don't mind getting it into the box no. already so that's good for them the likes of Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander Arnold yeah, yeah that's Trent, great Trent,
4: Trent. Alexander Arnold's tweet when he said how may I uh, how, welcome Darwin, how may I assist you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, very
3: good. But I do, I do think there there will be some interesting tweaks um, in terms of systems and personnel who will play a bigger and or lesser part for both of those teams. So that's that's what I'm excited about. As much as they are both star names, I I, do, I don't necessarily know whether they'll both just kind of come crashing through and they'll both have 15, 20 goals by Christmas. I could be wrong, but I would be more you know intrigued to see how they're both going to be moulded by their managers um, and how their teams are going to be made to fit around them.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm fascinated by the imp- the impact, the potential impact of Haaland on, on City's team. Uh, Liverpool, it's more just the kind of evolution that, uh, you know, you see how well-oiled this machine is in the, in the last two years, is it even two years? They've signed Jota, who's 25, and is the best football ahead of him. Luis Diaz, who's 25, and has made a remarkable impact already. And You know A 22 year old Who Is right with Right with potential as well So uh, You know Alongside Salah So that's your Four For a long time Their kind of backup For the front three Has been uh, Was Origi was, was So I think they've kind of They've upgraded Somehow Despite The sort of imminent loss of Of uh, Sadio Mane so for Liverpool it's like the evolution but Haaland his his game's all about impact that's just you just can't wait to see him in in the Premier League uh, brushing defenders off and plundering goals I can't see him doing anything else personally
2: I think there's more evolution here for Liverpool than there is for for Manchester City Really? I, I, I don't necessarily think Liverpool are stronger for next season in the long term I imagine they will be but for next season I think it's going to be you know if this was a player like Roberto Firmino and you could say look his game you know r- what Firmino did with the two wingers Salah and mane could they replicate that with a new front three in the same style I don't think Darwin Nunes is that type of player he just isn't in fact watching him you know I know a lot of people describe him as a mix of Luis Suarez and Edinson Cavani he isn't so far but we're talking about he, he them both being he, young and having yeah, the two best coaches I'm, I'm, in Europe I'm, to I'm work not with. saying that Liverpool in the long term won't be better with, I think, a, a player who is more, he's more, I think, more relevant his, in terms of his physical physical attributes to being a goal scorer in the Premier League, the Roberto Firmino. He's a lovely player, but he doesn't have that explosive nature to his game that I think Darwin Nunes has at still 22 years old. So I'm still excited to see it. But I think next season it will take some time for them to gel in a new system. I also think, you know, when Mane leaves, okay, I think it'll be Luis Diaz on the left-hand side. He'll be guaranteed that place. It'll be Salah. Will it be Nunes? Definitely through the middle. How much football will Jota want to play? I think at Manchester City, we know that um, Haaland's going to start through the middle uh, immediately, and it'll be a case of working things out. I just don't... Again, I don't think he'll hit the ground running in a particular way in terms of the style of football at Manchester City. I think he, like Mares, like Grealish, will take time to be moulded into that style of play. However, I just think they create so many chances that the stats will be there that we won't realise. Do you see what I mean? Hmm. Like how how much more there is to go. He will still score 20 goals and we'll all say, what a great first season in the Premier League. How many players find it hard to adjust, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera, and we'll be praising him. Um, and Nunes might not score as many goals um, I, again, they, they don't have a problem scoring goals. Liverpool, I'm sure he'll, he'll get his his fair share. But in terms of their link-up play and his movement up front, I, I, they are going to have to change tack slightly. Very slightly. He, I don't think he's going to come short as much as some of their other players do who are natural midfielders, or Firmino, who's a false nine. He's not. He's going to go in behind. And usually that's their wide players. So, well, I they think, may, so there's play a tweak there.
4: He can play wide. Yeah. And then, you know, Jota... One of the things about Jota when he when he first arrived was his, his ability to play that really the Firmino role. Mm. So he's very he's a very kind of adaptable player. Um, so you know, look, there, that, that's what I mean. There's so many there's so many options and and uh, you know so much potential for for Liverpool's front 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 line now. City, it's just all about the impact he makes. Whether he's going to come, as you say, whether he's going to hit the, hit the ground running. I just think that you know there might be some tweaks, particularly in, against stronger opposition. He's going to have to press. He's going to he's going to have to. City City have done so well by having that extra extra player, you know, because they don't haven't played with an out and out striker. That extra player to kind of drop deep and and they dominate numbers just just on front of the opposition's back four almost, and they have players running going and beyond. This is much more kind of traditional. Someone a focal point for defenders to. To try and get a grip of, which is which is arguably easier. But he's he's Erling Haaland. He's 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 not going to be easy to, de- to defend against. Yeah. And I just think he's going to get so many, as you say, so many opportunities that he will score goals.
2: I should say that Tom Roddy joins us now uh, from The Times on the Game podcast. We'll be talking about Romelu Lukaku very shortly and what might be happening with his future. Uh, But Tom, what's your opinion on these two moves? And what do you think about what we've had to say so far? Who do you think is going to have maybe more of an impact in this first year?
5: Probably Darwin Nunes for me, Hugh. And part of the reason is because with Erling Haaland, you know, we know even though he's young, He's actually moved around a hell of a lot. I mean, Moulder to RB Salzburg to um, Dortmund. He, he's he's used to moving from dressing room, so I don't think he's going to have any issue settling in to a new country, to a new dressing room at all. What he may have an issue with is adapting to Pep Guardiola's style of play. Um, it takes time. We've seen that with. Raheem Sterling, we saw it with um, Jack Grealish just this year. So it, 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 takes that little bit of time. I think Darwin Nunes can fit into the Liverpool team far easier. And it, and it's interesting you at, at the top of this year, you, you mentioned about, um, about the, the suitability for, of each player, but and, and, and how Liverpool were attractive to players. And that's kind of their big selling point at the moment, because part of that is because they can't compete with City financially. So they looked at Haaland, they looked at Killian and Mbappe, but when you actually see the numbers, they 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 can't do that. So they're then shopping in the market of players like Darwin Nunez who um, maybe at the moment aren't quite on the bracket of Harland on the, on the world stage, but are, from a football point of view, one of the most attractive clubs to play
2: for right now it's going to be interesting to see them Uh, it's more additions to the Super League sorry the Premier League um, (laughs) as we get more and more of these superstars uh, next season Um, one superstar Tom that came into the Premier League uh, back into the Premier League at the start of last season really didn't deliver and we had very high hopes for in the shape of Romelu Lukaku at Chelsea And you've been writing in the Times that he's on his way very, very soon, if not already, on loan to Inter Milan, which I've got to say, this really surprises me. I just, honestly, I just don't know why Chelsea would do this. You've written Chelsea don't want to sell him. Um, You've also written that Lukaku isn't ready to leave permanently. So it might seem obvious to everyone else, but I'm confused. Why is this happening?
5: Well, uh yeah you're right Hugh after after talking about Nunez and Haaland and and the hype and uh the hype of, of those two transfers here's a sort of tale of expectation and reality um but there was Lukaku had a had a meeting last week with the new ownership it was one which had been planned for a long time and the outcome of that meeting was that a solution is needed and um, part of it i think Uh, with Lukaku leaving on a permanent basis is because of the figures involved. I mean, when you think they paid £97.5 million for him last year, who is going to pay that amount of money? So, Chelsea essentially are looking at a a significant loss. Now, Lukaku has always said that Chelsea is, is his club, the one in England anyway. Uh, is his club and the one he's supported since a child Didier he a drug, was his hero etc etc and so he he's wanted this to work i wonder whether this the solution is inter for a year because the situation with thomas tuchel has been quite fracturous um that relationship was 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 pretty broken after the infamous Sky Italia interview in December, which ironically he was, that was when we started to see the real potential of Lukaku, that period between Christmas and New Year, he played really well. The interview was recorded and it was broadcast just before New Year. And it, it just saw his, his form nosedive. And since then the relationship with Tuchel hasn't been particularly great. And, and I, my suspicion is that the idea is a year away, What what is the lifespan of a coach in the Premier League outside Liverpool and Man City in the last few years? It tends to be 18 months, to two years. At Chelsea, it certainly tends to be that. Who knows what it'll be in the new Todd Bowley era, but it tends to be that. If Thomas Tuchel is gone this time next year, Romelu Lukaku comes back under a new coach, and it's a fresh start. So I—that's my suspicion that that is that is the um, that is the hope. That is the the potential solution. And of course, it's a win-win for Inter. They they get him back on loan, the guy who scored thirty goals to take them to the Scudetto uh, the season before last, and. Um, but one thing just to to say to you this is this is definitely not a done deal yet at all okay. they are in talks the two clubs they are in talks and um Uh, it's still a way to go at the moment.
2: Okay. We'll see what happens uh, with Romelu Lukaku. Uh, I should have pointed you to two articles that you can read. Henry Winter back in May, quite an interesting one. I was reading it this morning. Goal scoring machine, Erling Haaland will only get better under Pep Guardiola. And Paul Joyce has written this week about the footage that put Jurgen Klopp on the trail of 64 million pound striker Darwin Nunez. So make sure you check those two out and what Tom, of course, has been writing about Chelsea and more uh, in the times. Um, Listen, before we move on, a little bit later on, um, in fact, probably next up, we will be reacting to some of our predictions from earlier on in the season. And Tom Roddy, since we've got you here, we've got to broach some of what you had to say. Okay, Uh, we're going to begin with the reaction of both Tom and Jonathan Northcroft to Manchester United signing Cristiano Ronaldo. I think United have had a
3: transformative window. Will it be enough? I don't know. But they now. I think. I think the Ronaldo signing right at the end just puts puts them in the mix. And I know he's fifty seven years old, but he's <laughs> Cristiano
5: Ronaldo. If Chelsea hadn't done the business they've done, I still would have expected them to be a contender for the title. But United's what they've done by bringing in Ronaldo and the quality of Baran—they've turned themselves into title contenders overnight. I mean, how, poor, they how poor was that? And they ruined it. They, they <laughs> were title contenders. Look at that squad and they just ruined it.
2: I, I stand by it entirely. <laughs> He's doubling down. Unbelievable scenes. So we're going to hear more from what Tom Roddy and the others have had to say next, but I just firstly can't believe that.
3: I did say they weren't title contenders, right? I mean, You did also say that Ronaldo was the signing of the season, though. Yeah, and yes. the, uh, hopefully we've got that clip lined so up as
2: was, a, he, was he not? absolutely not he was in the conversation no wasn't he, he wasn't he was, he was. Anyway, let's where would Man United
3: have been without him? Let's. I mean probably about the same which is no, what I said no, when they signed him by not. the way absolutely hello to, not hello to all the Twitter followers that and the abuse I got at the start of the season <laughs> yeah, said, I'm, I'm, I'm staying quiet because right
2: I know there's going to be some <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to have more of our predictions good and bad by the way um, coming up on the game podcast Tom Roddy thank you for joining us stay with us we'll have a big quiz on the way as well. So the first appalling prediction is out of the way. Thank you, Tom Roddy, for putting up with us. I've got Tom Clark and Gregor Robertson still with me. Um, And we're going to go through some of the other predictions that we have made, not just us, but others on the game podcast this season, see how they, they worked out. We were talking about Manchester United a few moments ago and what Tom Roddy and Jonathan saw in their future... Let's take Gregor into the crystal ball.
4: I think we're going to see a headline where saying Solskjaer tops the table with Manchester United and then two to three months later, pressure rising on Solskjaer, Solskjaer facing the axe. I think that cycle is going to continue.
2: We were asking for headlines and Gregor couldn't actually think <laughs> of what a headline was. So that was his headline. He just basically <laughs> said, and I, at the end I said, so what you're saying is Ollie out and something like that, I think. And ultimately it was about Solskjaer getting sacked which I don't know if that's a great prediction or not to be perfectly honest but you're the only person that said it Gregor Robertson so kudos to you
4: you were right Ollie on his way out how are you feeling I think you're giving me far too much credit <laughs> I, I thought he was going to be Ollie would have had to do done something disastrous to be, get, to be getting the sack and it turned out he did yeah,
2: yeah it was disastrous wasn't it um, next one is me I'm, I'm sure it's a good one let's have a listen I think Brighton for me could be overachievers they're the team that I've picked they just need to put the ball in the back of the net not change much sign a decent striker you know hardest thing to do in the game put the ball in the back of the net we all know that but I think if they can get a goal scorer they probably for me will be in the top half so I'll choose Brighton as mine yes ninth placed finish I'm sensing fix
3: here. The best in
2: their history, yes. Another great prediction from myself, Hugh Croft, around what was going to... Thank you very much. I knew I should have been more
3: involved in this process. Seagulls fans, you know, I'm just saying. I I saw it coming. You're still right about the goal scorer, though. I am. You could make that same prediction next season. In fact, maybe just clip it up and do the same thing again if they've not signed anyone in the summer.
2: I am, but I'd have to go harder than than top half. I'm going to have to say, like, top six if they sign a goal scorer. I still can't believe... I've got to say, I can't believe they didn't sign one. So maybe this summer, Brighton fans, fingers crossed. All right, let's talk about Paris Saint-Germain
3: next. I think there'll be no bigger story than PSG this year. And I'm thinking Pochettino or job. Yeah, you know, he loses Sergio Ramos to a season-long injury. Then he loses Verratti to a long injury. The entire front five refused to track back and... <laughs> Most of them are passing to each other. Wijnaldum's knackered and they get eliminated by a very sort of clever by Munich team from the Champions League in the round of 16 and and, and it all blows up. And I think uh, I, I think that's the way it's going to end at PSG.
2: That was incredible. That's impressive. I mean, honestly, had he said the actual team that knocked them out, that was the only thing he missed. Had he said Real Madrid and, and, and knocking them out, that would have been the most incredible prediction <laughs> because he, he had two injuries in there accurately Sergio Ramos barely played all season Verratti long term injury we know the forwards never track back Poch is losing his job now I mean, it's been—I mean—sensational. He yeah. was right.
3: I mean, Johnny Johnny's a witty and very intelligent man. We should also just point out though it's that in, in the in the in the Tom uh, in the Tom Roddy clip, there was also Johnny saying that Ollie was going to take the boys to the title. So let's let's not just forget that. You okay. know, I'd, I'd say it's one all for Northcroft at the minute. Okay,
2: all right. Well, I still think that's the strongest so far. Let's hear who Gregor chose for his surprise package of the season. No.
4: I think Norwich, I think it probably will be a surprise to many because of the kind of humiliating way that they were relegated last season, they lost their last, sorry, two years ago, they lost their last 10 games. He's kind of done something to tweak a bit and shore up the defence, and I think that might be enough for them. I think Norwich might surprise a few. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Oh, oh Gregor, really, I mean, really they let good. you down,
3: they let you down. Yeah. It was the Billy Gilmore that did it, wasn't it? It was that
4: signing. Oh, absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Billy Gilmore finished top half. Uh, I think there was sound reasoning. I think there was sound reasoning. You know, I watched Norwich in the Championship. They showed the defence up. I I thought Stuart Webber was, you know, kind of... I thought you'd done something different. They'd spent money. Everybody slagged them off for not spending money. They did spend money. Yeah. They just spent it really badly, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, right. So Yeah, uh, I listened to that in yeah.
2: full, and, and uh, you did base that on the fact that they'd finally decided to, to get some money out and spent yeah. 50 million quid. And it was spent badly. It yeah. was spent badly, and they are back in the championship. But um, listen, I'm looking forward sure. to our prediction show for next season, by the way, because um, I'm sure there'll be more corkers. Um, Up next, we had a conversation about who had got the best manager. Because within, within the space of about a week, Aston Villa, Norwich, and Newcastle appointed new bosses. Who out of the three clubs Norwich, Villa or Newcastle Got the best
3: boss Dean Smith is a really really smart appointment And so I, I'll go for Dean Smith Because I know Greg is going to pick his best mate Stevie G <laughs> um, The greatest the greatest English manager to have ever lived I think Stephen Gerrard is, is going to be a success I'm tempted to say Eddie Howe
2: Well you've got to now With the squad that they've got now And the manager that they have now They can put together good performances and good results And we can see them in mid-table Absolute fix
3: Newcastle to finish mid-table. You I'm sure it? if
4: we went back to the point he was—he was appointed as well. You were hammering them. <laughs> you can't flip quite easily. Hey, listen,
2: listen. You heard the facts there in in black and white. I don't know what that means, but you heard them there. Okay, in in great sound quality, and ultimately, I said they would finish in mid-table, Newcastle, and I said they got the best manager. So I win that conversation. Mm. You were wrong. I, I mean, look, I still stand by. I still think it's a good appointment. Okay, I know they went down. But... And Stephen Gerrard, by the way, I'm worried about for next season. They're spending some money. They're getting some players in. He didn't really put up any trees. And I've got to say, he has to improve for next season. That's all I'm going to say. He has to. Because there's a lot of money being spent. There's good players coming in. And he's not going to have many excuses. Finally, we had a conversation about the out-of-work Antonio Conte. I think Antonio Conte might take a two-year deal at Arsenal to see what he can do with that squad. But, of course, he'll want a bit of money. But if he was happy to take the Tottenham job, I'm just saying... This is a, this is a fix. You know sit. what? I actually went on to say I think you'd end up in North London. This, I mean, I've been, I've been, you know. This is an absolute fix. <laughs> I'm just saying, guys. I'm, there are a lot of great predictions from
3: Woozy. I'm
2: just gonna <laughs> just gonna put it Woozie out there. It's unbelievable. Okay.
3: <laughs> I thought producer John had put this list I together. Do, didn't yeah. realize you'd done it. Yeah, yeah, heavily I, influenced,
2: guys. I just did a little bit of editorial help, as I always do, chipping in, doing my work for the team, and all I'm gonna say is I think I'm the best
3: at predictions. I mean, with that heavily edited list, yeah,
2: perhaps. Okay. All right. Now, before we end the podcast, we're going to have a bit of fun. This is going to get competitive. In fact, I need a pen and paper. So you won't hear me go and get the pen and paper, but I'm going to go and get a pen and paper. Stay there.
1: Selling a little or a lot?
5: we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: As if by magic, there is a pen and a piece of paper in front of me. I'm very fast. Listen, I'm going to do this head-to-head, OK? Gregor against Tom. So, so you know, you're feeling bad after the predictions, but one of you will go home with some sort of Times-branded mug, which I'm going to steal from downstairs in the canteen. We're going to start with you, Tom, I think. Hopefully, they'll put some mastermind music in after this. <laughs> I really hope and they we'll, do we'll have some background dramatic music that comes in now. <laughs> Arsenal were beaten on the opening day of the season by which team? Brentford that's correct Gregor who was the first Premier League manager to be sacked this season Nuno no. incorrect no. Zisco Munoz Watford Oh, oh. Jesus <laughs> fair unlucky that was tough no, I, no, yeah, I wouldn't have got that <laughs> Tom your second question Harry Kane scored his first Premier League goal of the season in a 3-2 win at Newcastle which came on the 17th of which month
3: Oh, there's always the thing about how he never scores in August. Uh, August. Incorrect. The answer is
2: October. Ah, I was going to say that. October, Harry Kane's first Premier League goal. Gregor, Kane's second Premier League goal came on the 19th of which month? October. It was December. Was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His second yeah. Premier League goal was on the 19th of December. Really? Yeah. Bloody hell. Tom. Right. Real Madrid was shocked 2-1 at home by Sheriff Tiraspol on match day two of the Champions League. But which country are Sheriff from? Romania. Incorrect.
3: Oh, boy. It's Moldova. It's not going well, this <laughs> is it. I not
2: feel at all. I think you're one nil up, though holding on Gregor Gregor <laughs> which eventual league winners finished bottom of Liverpool's Champions League group Milan. that's correct oh, good. he levels it up at
3: one all. Good. he started the second half
2: strong Tom Manchester City scored at least five goals on 11 occasions in all competitions but what was their biggest win in the Premier League and against who half a point for each 7 nil, Half a point uh, Not rich Nah, it was Leeds United oh, Damn it But you move on to one and a half Gregor, you're still on one Oli Gunnar Solskjaer was sacked following a defeat By which team and which scoreline? Half a point
4: oh, each Can I not have this one? I know this one I want to see Brighton but I can see by your face that's wrong. So I don't want to see <laughs> <that>. <laughs> uh, Was it after the Liverpool mauling? I think it was. was Is that it? your final answer? I'll go with that. I've, I've, I, don't, I don't know. Come on.
2: Unbelievable! I thought this was the easiest question in the whole thing. The answer was Watford four-one. God, yeah.
4: There was a lot of really bad. Uh, <laughs> for Man United in those
2: days, wasn't there? Tom Nottingham Forest beat which Premier League side 4-1 in the
3: FA Cup fourth round oh, Why didn't you ask me about the third round for God's sake Completely gone Aston Villa Leicester City oh,
2: Gregor Kidderminster Harriers Took which Premier League side To the 121st minute In the FA Cup fourth round See I know
3: this one again You're asking me the wrong questions
4: Luckily for
2: Gregor, otherwise he'd be five nil
4: down at this point in time. Uh, I'm the same. I could have got the <laughs> Oh no, get him, Mr Harriers against. I don't know. I want to say Newcastle.
2: West Ham United. West Ham. Oh god, I honestly, remember now. Yeah. I honestly, I, I thought these were all Declan easy Declan Rice questions. went
4: in afterwards, didn't he?
3: I remember. Tom. Easier question for you. Oh, don't tee it up like that. That's even worse.
2: Chelsea suffered a shock exit in the Women's Champions League. But at which stage? Group stage. That is correct. Two and a half to <laughs> Gregor's one. Gregor, in March, Arsenal's Viviana Midamar became the first WSL player to reach what? Somewhat obscure landmark. <sighs> Ooh. I'll give you a clue. It's a combination of things. <laughs> That's a clue? <laughs> That's a clue. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't
4: think
2: You're killing me <laughs> The answer is 100 goal contributions, 70 goals, 30 assists. That's an extremely modern landmark, isn't it? It is. I gave you a clue. I said it was a combination of things. Fine. I'm not even sure Gregor can equalise. Oh, no, two questions left each. Tom, who lost more Premier League games this season? Manchester City or Liverpool? City. That is correct. Yep. Three and a half to your one, Gregor. You need to get. In fact, you've already lost. But. <laughs> <laughs> play to the end, come on. Let's play it to the end. Gregor, who won more Premier League games? Spurs or Chelsea?
4: Chelsea. Spurs. It's not
2: your day, mate. Tom, which player was sent off after two yellow cards in 31 seconds at the Etihad in December?
3: Raul Jimenez.
2: That is correct. He's storming to Guess. the conclusion here. Finish him. Gregor, Manchester City's 5-1 win at Wolves in May meant they became the first team in English top flight history to do what? That is a tougher question than my last question. To I'll give you a clue. <laughs> I'll give you a clue. It happened in five straight games. It'll be like score more than three goals or something. Winning by a margin of at least three goals. Okay. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. There was a tiebreaker. Oh, which yeah, maybe, which, tie maybe
3: which maybe... Which maybe... I've um, also... I also... We came into this. The listeners should know that I thought this was going to be kind of fun. I thought we'd all get picked on with the predictions thing. I also all thought we were all doing a quiz. Oh, no, you're going to come we, to your quiz. We, uh, just teed it up for himself to look a genius and then ask a <laughs> load of difficult questions <laughs> for
2: us. I really thought they were easy questions, I promise you guys. The tiebreaker was how many Premier League goals did ninth placed Brighton score? How
3: many Premier League goals? Yeah. 38 games, obviously. 46. 48.
2: Tom, your closest. The answer was forty-two. Right. If you want
3: to answer me some well, questions, I, uh, I just thought we were having a couple head. of questions each, but I've got an FA Cup. Just three oh, FA Cup oh, questions oh, okay, for let's you. One hundred fiftieth year. Had a lot of excitement. I remember you getting very, very excited about yeah, it. Yeah, saying yeah, yeah, yeah. All the knockouts. But how many Premier League clubs were knocked out in the third round? Five six oh, I was going to say six damn one of the biggest upsets of that third round was Cambridge United's 1-0 win at Newcastle who scored their winning goal Ironside yeah I'll give you that Joe Ironside
4: <laughs> impressive
3: uh, and then finally what do Manchester City's Riyad Mahrez and Charlton's Jaden Stockley have in common from this year's FA Cup
4: I'm not even sure I've got the right year go. <laughs> I was going to say he scored against Exeter
3: no it's quite simple Jaden Stockley, Riyad
2: Admar- you're overthinking it, and Riyad Mahrez. I don't know. They both scored penalties at Wembley. No,
3: they Best were they the been. joint top scorers in the competition.
2: Oh, how many? Four each. Oh, I see. That was good. Thanks. That was tough. That was tough.
3: I got, just I got one. Also makes you know, Gregor feel better and makes me look like a genius. So <laughs> <it's not. laughs> I thought those were very good questions, gentlemen. Thank, thank you. And I've enjoyed the season. Was yeah. there a high point for you? <laughs> I thought the high point was going to be listening back to our predictions and (laughs) things, but no, that wasn't as enjoyable as I thought. Um, Come on, your your beloved Lincoln. I've actually, I think I've, I think that should be a personal highlight that I've done well to mention them a lot less this season. Yeah, I'd say that as well. I've grown, I've grown as a podcaster over the season. (laughs) (laughs) You got to go back. Come on, in the flesh. That was a special moment, wasn't it? Yeah, that was great. But I wasn't, you know that wasn't that wasn't part of the podcast was it or did I manage to sneak yeah, that in yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be part of the podcast for you for it to be the high point of your oh, season
3: oh a special point in the season generally yeah. oh yeah well Lincoln were pretty poor this season mm. tough to say tough to say
4: Robo? Uh I have to say Celtic snatching the league back under Big Ange and is playing some Buccaneer football Loved lovely it. lovely
2: and mine was the second of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, obviously, because, I mean, come on, that was just like, we, we spoke about it for two and a half
3: years straight. That, Same was, conversation. that was true, actually, yeah. Not, Unburdened not. now of talking about Solskjaer's future. Actually, Fantastic. one of my highlights was giving you that cupcake for managing to wake it the whole way through a podcast without mentioning Manchester United. Thank that you. That was maybe my highlight. Thank you, thank you. And mine was you turning down the cupcake. That I'm, <laughs> I'm You'd still not let uh, that free, go. No, I
2: will never let that go. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Thank you all for listening throughout the season. Uh, much more to come, by the way. We will have some special podcasts over the next few weeks, keeping track of everything uh, in the women's Euros. So keep a lookout for that. Make sure you're subscribed hit the button. You won't miss any of those episodes. And then we will be back very, very soon for the season. The start in July of the season ahead of the build up to that World Cup in Qatar but thank you all for listening Uh, make sure you give us a follow by the way at Timesport and make sure you are subscribed check it out at thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game we'll see you soon enjoy your summer